Well, everybody, this is a singular honor for me. I think all you guys will enjoy this as well. We have with us Larry Hankin, who you might not recognize the name, although a lot of you might, but you will certainly recognize his face and his voice. Uh, You know him as Mr. Heckles on Friends, as Old Joe from Breaking Bad, as Barry, who played... Kramer in the show within a show on Seinfeld. For people like me, who are huge fans of 70s and 80s television and movies, you know him from Armed and Dangerous, uh, episodes of It's a Living, New Heart, That Girl, and Lou Grant, it is Larry Hankin. How are you, Larry? Um, well, uh, that's, uh, yeah, I'm, I guess, I guess I'm fine. I guess <laughs> I'm terrific. Uh, one one, one uh, correction. Um, yeah, I was on Friends, but Barry... Is a show, Barry, that, you know... The, the oh, yeah, 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 that's right. You were I, I was Mr. on that. I, I was the... Uh, yeah, the, the hitman. That's right. The yeah, on Seinfeld, your your name was something Pepper. Uh, I don't remember uh, the first name. Tom. Yeah, Tom. that's right. You are probably one of the more famous character actors that's out that's there. That's true? Really? Oh, yeah. How? I have no idea. I don't... Think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not... I'm not in show business. I mean, in in my, my in my little bailiwick, in my mind, I'm not in show business. I'm a guy who lives down the block and lives across the street from you know that restaurant over there. Well, that was uh, kind of, that was cool. Kind of, that was kind of my first question. Do you sort of view your career as the best of both worlds? You work a lot. Um, you know, obviously, you can make a living. Uh, doing acting and making films, which I'm sure is, since you do it so much, I'm sure is your passion, but you're not necessarily hounded by paparazzi and things like that, like uh, the quote-unquote A-list stars are. Do you kind of look at that as the best of both worlds? Um, You would think so, but no. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm, uh, it's a kind of a, it's a well-known small fact but no i think of myself as popcorn uh and that's a philosophical uh kind of uh, attack on the subject uh popcorn in that it's a kernel of corn a person i am a, per, a, a kernel of corn that is constantly in the process of popping in other words i always want to grow i i, I never I, you know i don't i don't want to be here now i want to be there now, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, uh, so I, I I am never satisfied. I'm, I'm, I, I, <laughs> it's very frustrating, but that's how it is, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I got to st- keep going, man. <laughs> You're uh, <laughs> this, ain't where, this ain't the end. Your filmography, I think, would certainly bear that out. That uh, you've taken on uh, lots of of different roles. Um, you, you know, you started. Yeah. You started on That Girl uh, in 1968. That's the first uh, credit that I have. Really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't even know that. I thought my first credit was Laverne and Shirley. Where does that come in? Because I thought that was my first. I guess I was up in San Francisco, and I didn't count uh, That Girl because I was living in San Francisco. So that was just a blip. Okay. Something that, uh, but yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, you know, I'll take IMDb. <laughs> but uh, so starting from 68 and, and working up until now um, and, yeah. and, and into the future, obviously the business has changed. Are you being arrested? 
No, but I think my apartment building is on fire. No, oh, no. they just put gas. Okay, we're cool. Okay, we're cool. But, uh, you know, starting in 68 and working, you know, up until now in the future, obviously the business has changed quite a bit. What do you wow, think? Wow, yeah. What do you think is the biggest change as far as, uh, you know, the, the movie-making business goes? Okay, I, the thing that pops into my mind is the, the Internet. I mean, uh, and, and therefore access. And you would think that the Internet gives you more access, but no, it gives you less. I could call up, when I first started, this is like in the dark ages, um, you know, you could call an agent and say, hey, you know, can I have an interview? You, you, you could get an agent um, a little more, really, more easily than you can now because, because everybody assumes they have access to agents or producers or directors or whoever you want to call. Millions of people, they call from Austria. So, you know, it's almost impossible to get connected in Hollywood. That's why I don't uh, kind of focus on it. That's why I I, I do my own things. And I kind of get fed up every once in a while with the fact that you would think with all my credits, I could get anyone to take my phone call or interview. No, that's not, that's not true. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot harder access. I guess that's the answer. Access. Yeah. You, you were in Escape from Alcatraz with uh, Clint Eastwood. Um, oh, was he in that too? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, 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 he was in it. Yeah. Would, would you, would, would you consider that, um, kind of the the big break of your career no not at all that was in other words that was the epitome of my career do you realize that i got co-star billing with clint eastwood and that was my first major motion picture yeah and that was what i what was that nice 79 around around there 79 or 80 something like that so I, I just right out of the box, I moved down here. Uh, so that that was my official, you know, feeling that I was in Hollywood. When I moved down here, and was sleeping on people's couches, couches, <laughs> and and uh, uh, the first thing I got, and that's why I say Laverne and Shirley was the, the first thing I got when I moved down here was Laverne and Shirley, or I kind of got that and then moved down here. In other words, I uh, Laverne. Uh, um, what was her real name? Uh, Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall, yeah. Uh, yeah, Penny Marshall saw me in the committee up there. So I was living in San Francisco and with the committee. Uh, and um, so she came up there, and I got a call saying, you know, would you please come down? We want to interview you because uh, we want you on the show. So I went down for the interview, and I got not only the interview, but I, well, I went down for the interview. I was hired. And then I moved, I got Laverne and Shirley, and then I moved down and was couch surfing, and then I got Escape from Alcatraz. So I went from being, you know, kind of, well, I was a guest star, I guess, rolling in Laverne and Shirley, and then a co-star in Escape from Alcatraz, and it was downhill from there for years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like Escape from Alcatraz, but seeing your work, I don't know that I would totally agree that it was downhill. Well, to me, because, uh, you know, I, all you, 
there's, there's three things that, that this manager, the, this agent that I got because of Laverne and Shirley, he stayed with me for, for quite a while, and uh, I was getting tired of, I don't know. So he, he, what he said was, there's only three things you, you, that count in this town, and you have to get two. And it was uh, billing, money, and roll. And he said, you, you, if, if you're anybody, if you have any kind of power at all, you must get two of those three. And, and major stars get all three. And I, that was, I was getting a huge amount of money, and I got billing. So I got two of those three right out of the box. Uh, almost my second job, I believe. So, and then, when I say downhill, I never got that billing for, I never got that billing. Oh, okay. Coast on billing. I always got, uh, uh, all those things with guest star. And I just got tired of it, you know. So, uh, so I just started doing my own thing and making my own movies. So then, Hollywood became an ancillary money machine. Mm. It was just like an ATM. That was all. It would just because I spent millions. Well, not millions, but but hundreds of thousands, I guess, on my films. I, you know, I have oh, I don't know, thirty, a minimum of thirty films. I don't know. Somewhere 20 minutes, somewhere a uh, minute and a half. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I just got tired of the Hollywood uh, begging. Uh, people call it auditioning, but it's, you know, please hire me. Every, you know, every two or three months. Because mm-hmm. even if you do a major motion picture, it's what, three months' work. And then you're on the street again. So you got to save your money. And, and there's that whole thing about... The fact that you have to figure, yeah, I'm getting like hundreds of thousands, well, not me, hundreds of thousands, but thousands of dollars for this one role. And then three months later, you're out of work and you got to make sure that money you got, right. which is fun, is going to keep you going until you get your next job. You know, and then your next job, not necessarily as much money as the one you just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a crapshoot down here. Right. <laughs> Down here, on the East Coast here. So my looking at Hollywood is not how my fans or your fans or any fans look at it. You know, it's just a whole different, a whole different world if you're looking at it from the inside out. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm sure that that kind of dovetails you making your own movies nicely into my next couple questions. I want to talk about uh, Solly's Diner for a minute. Now, this was a, a short film that uh, you wrote, directed, produced, and starred in in 1980. It was uh, yeah. nominated for an Oscar. Um, right. And uh, I've seen the other films that year. I saw the, the film that won. Nice film, but I have to say I don't quite agree. Your your film is hilarious. Um and just so wait, what, what don't you agree in what you do? I don't know which one you're talking about. I think you should have won. Oh, <laughs> right. Me too. I was pissed. But, I was pissed. I went to that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the the the, the, uh, the Academy Awards because my film was in it, and I'm sitting there, you know, and I had uh, because I was starving at the time. I had spent all my money on that film because I w- I wasn't established in 1980. I the, the money that I got from Escape from Alcatraz went into Sally's Diner. So all the money that, you know, I had, I paid off a lot of debts with the, the Escape from Alcatraz uh, salary. 
And the rest I spent on uh, rent and uh, Sally's Diner. So I went to the Academy Awards, and to do that, I had to buy my girlfriend a, a nice dress. You know, she, you know nobody <laughs> has a, a dress that you're going to wear, wear to the Academy Awards. Right. Because you're only going to wear it once. You know, and she'd been, you know, and I had to wear a tuxedo. So she said, "Hey, man, you got a tuxedo? I got to look cool too, right?" So you know, we went shopping. So we had that, and then we had to get a limo, and uh, yeah, it was like a big deal. Uh, and then I didn't win. What the hell? And what was all that money for? What the <laughs> hell did I buy her the dress and this tuxedo and a limo? What the heck is going on? So it was not no, an honor was- to be nominated then. No. <laughs> no, it was a burden. It was a no, it was a trick. That's what it was. So it pulled a rug. No, I really was. I, you know, I, you know, if you're nominated, you're going to get it. That's it. Right. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, you know, and anyone that, that wants to to check out uh, Solly Steiner, it's available on YouTube on Larry Hankins' YouTube page. Uh, it's it is hilarious. I I love the movie. It's very. It's based on Chaplin, is what it's based on. Yeah, it's very I mean, dry, I mean, I and I I yeah. like it a lot. Because it's, it's a yeah. I mean, be, uh, because it's a homeless guy. Now, you know, I'm not a ballet dancer, <laughs> but no, it's just it's a homeless guy being a hero. That that that's all. <laughs> that's the end of it. I mean, the the, the relationship. But but yeah, I I wanted to do it, and uh, it was actually it was a mistake. That was an experiment. That wasn't supposed to go anywhere. That was just between me and the cinematographer. He needed a reel. That that's why I did it. He came to me. He said, "Larry, I need a reel because uh, he was a, a, a camera operator." Mm-hmm. I made your motion pictures, but he wanted to be a cinematographer, but he didn't have really good reels uh, that he could say he was the cinematographer of. So he said, you know, write a film, uh, and I'll be the cinematographer because I need a reel, and hey, you'll you'll have a little film. I mean, that was as far as it went. Mm-hmm. And I said, how much, you know, what, what is it going to cost? And he said, $5,000. <laughs> Well, nowadays it would be millions, but right. then it would it would it cost me twenty thousand by by the time we were finished. It was you know like a, a almost a run and gun, but not quite. And, and so I saved up money. I, I it took me six months to get five thousand dollars saved up for the film, doing little TV shows and stuff like that, which is where I got the idea of oh, I see Hollywood is an ATM machine. If I just you know, just keep working, I, I could save up money and make my own film. And I mm-hmm. thought that was a really cool idea. So I, I did, and then I uh, got $5,000 in cash in small bills. I put it in a brown paper bag, went over to his house, and I just gave him a, the brown paper bag. I said, here, and I left. I, I liked the Bo Jess. I, I liked Bo Jess, uh-huh. you know? And I thought, wow, if I just, you know, I won't even show him the money. I just, here, he opened the door, and I handed, I said, here, and I handed him a brown paper bag, and before he could say, what's this for, I left. I just turned and walked away. <laughs> so he shut the door, and then, you know, about an hour later, he called me back, and he said, oh, hey, man, you know, okay, you know, give me two weeks to get my crew together. And we're going to shoot, so you better hire some actors. And and boom, we were off to the races. It, 
politics took place in a diner, which was right across the street from this little walk-up that I had uh, that I was living in, a real cheap place. And um, and, and there we the, we went. We, he said, he called me back and he said, okay, I got my crew, you got your actors? And I said, yeah, it was just two, two of my friends who were actors. And uh, we, we shot the movie in this little, little diner, really tiny little diner. I think there were about eight tables or something. And, uh, and then uh, he, we both, uh, here's a, a hint for all you young or even old filmmakers. Never edit your movie with the cinematographer. Because he wants real shots. He wants really cool shots to right. put on his reel, but that's nothing to do with the narrative. <laughs> so we were fighting constantly because I didn't know how to edit at the time. I didn't know how to direct. He wanted me to direct. And in the editing room, I figured out why. He said, I'll, he'll help me because he worked with some big directors. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. But, you know, he figured, well, he has control. You know, because I didn't know what I was doing. Right. I was directing, but, you know. So at, at the end, he said, um, uh, see, watch, I think it's the last shot. No, it's the opening shot. It's a tracking shot. And um, the opening shot, and we were losing the light. It was a night shoot, and the diner had a huge picture window, you know. Uh, and the sun was coming, when it came up, was going to come right through that window. I mean, it was, the window was facing the dawn. And um, we didn't have anything to cover the, that big window with. So it was the last shot, and we were arguing over where to put the camera. And I wanted the camera facing the window, and he said, no, that's not a good, that's, that's not a good shot. I wasn't aware of the fact that the sun was going to come up by the time he had lit, you know, where the camera was going to be. Mm-hmm. So he kept on saying, no, we don't have time. We don't have time. And I said, we do have time. God damn it. I'm the director. You know, I put my foot down and I was big hissy fit in the middle. And he said, hey, man, you're freaking out the crew. So I said, well, and he said, take a walk around the block. I will change the shot. I'll do what you said. But get out of here, man. Just calm down and walk around the block. And when you come back, we're going to do it. And I said, fine. I walked around the block. And when I came back, he had set up the shot for his shot. Right. <laughs> cool. And, he said, and and then he pointed at the sky, and he, it was kind of that gray, purple that you know, you know, the dawn is coming. Yep. And he said he pointed out the window, and he said, "We can't do your shot. By the time we get this reset, the sun is going to come right through that window, and it's over. And we can't do it." So I gave up. I mean, I saw the writing on the wall, and I said, "Okay, no argument. Let's just do it, man." You know. Boom, and, and we shot it. We got it up in time, and then, um, uh, then we started editing and arguing in the editing room. So it was like a, a, a horror trip, but but really, that's the way movies are made. Maybe not with as much of my attitude of you know just freaking out the crew. Although I think he said that just to get me out of it. Right. But uh, you know, I, I, arguing, I was arguing for it. Yeah, but making a movie is is a bunch of unintended consequences. That, that's what making a movie is, unintended consequences and figuring out the problem right then, right then and there. And I learned a, a big, big lesson. Anyway, after it was all finished, I was so frazzled that I did, I, I just wanted to see 
the character that I was playing, this homeless guy. That was the only reason I had started the project in the first place. So I didn't even want to release it. And Harry wanted to enter it into the uh, Academy, into the Academy Awards. And I, I refused. I said, no, no way. This is not good enough for that. You know, but that was all that stuff in my head. And um, I, he said, okay. He said, all right, man, you know, whatever. And we just hung it up, and that was it. And then he calls me back a couple of weeks later, and he said, I got good news and I got bad news. I said, what's the bad news? And he said, um, I entered it into the Academy Awards. I said, oh, man! Because here's what I thought. See, this is how naive I was. I thought if you entered your film into the Academy and it was refused, you could never enter your film, any other film, ever again. I don't know where I got that from. Okay. <laughs> I was a young man, very confused. And, you know, I had just done two things, and this was all the money I had from Escape from Alcatraz, and I thought it was a failure. So, no, I didn't. And so he said, so I said, what's the good news? And he goes, we got accepted. And I go, cool. <laughs> I said, great. <laughs> great. And then when I saw it, when, when I saw it, you know, in front of an audience and, and stuff. It had to be shown uh, when you get accepted. You have to show your movie for three days, I think, in a neighborhood movie mm-hmm. theater. It has to be booked just for three days, and then, then, you, then you can show it. So when I saw it in, in front of a, um, a movie theater, in, um, I saw that Harry was right. Thank God he had sent me to walk around the block. The, the first shot was the, the right. He was right. He was totally right. I go, boy, thank God he sent me around the block. <laughs> so, you know, then that, that's what started me in making my own films. From then on, I, I thought, oh, I, I see. I, I do know what I'm doing. I just didn't know that. Right. So how do you, to prove that. Do you think that if, let, you know, if your career started right now, if you were 22 yeah. again, 24 again, right. you would oh, yeah. you would think you would probably go... Uh, like you know, do film it's... school. I would go to film school <laughs> in a drop of a hat. I would go to UCLA or USC. I don't care what. I, I would sell my soul to go to UCLA go to, to to start with the kids and and as a young man and just make films. I mm-hmm. would be a uh, Woody Allen or Charlie Chaplin or you know those guys. Whoever makes your own film, whoever you are, I don't know. Do you think that would be uh, a yeah, better? That's re- what I do you think that would be a better route than doing like uh, you know your own stuff that you could put up on YouTube or getting a deal with Netflix? There seems to be a lot of different avenues for filmmakers now to well, sort of Louis get C. in. K. Louis C.K. I mean, right. you know, before he <laughs> he went under, but yeah, but yeah. I mean, he was right. No, but here you, here's one thing I guess you don't know, and that's the key to me. I think I'm a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. I am not an actor. And I started out in show business as a stand-up comedian opening for Woody Allen and Miles Davis. Way back in the day when I was just a kid, actually. Uh, uh, right out of school. And I just, I, right out of school, I just went to Greenwich Village with Carl Gottlieb, who wrote Jaws. Mm-hmm. We were just buddies in Syracuse. So we got an uh, apartment in Greenwich Village, and I started in the coffee houses. He started writing reviews for movies. He's always been a writer. And I just started uh, as a stand-up comedian. And I was opening for Woody Allen and Miles Davis and the Kingston Trio and all those 
big acts. And um, but I was doing Lenny Bruce type of stuff, okay. uh, George Carlin's type of stuff, Richie Pryor uh, stuff. Uh, when they were around, well, I, I, we all knew one another. We, we were playing the same nightclubs and stuff. And then um, I couldn't take what Lenny was getting, and maybe not what Richard Pryor. Yeah, what, what Richard Pryor was getting too. In other words, I, I was being attacked. Um, I was being mm. pulled off the stage by police and and, and things like that. Censorship and I charges and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's crazy. People were throwing stuff at me. Guys were coming at me uh, out of the audience with beer bottles in their hands. A nightclub, you know, mm. with a beer bottle. They get off the stage. We want the Kingston Trio. Oh, okay, man, okay. Uh, so I called my manager, who was Woody Allen's manager, and I said, hey, man, I, I'm, I'm not Lenny. I, I don't <laughs> do that stuff. Um, I can't take it. I'm a middle-class Jewish guy. Uh, which I guess Lenny was too. Right. <laughs> <Evidently>. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I said, I wasn't, no, I'm not geared for this. So he said, well, why don't you join Second City? I mean, you've got that satirical bent, you know. So join Second So that's what I did. I, I, I joined Second City, oh, audition, and, and, and got it, and got into the company. And then from there, we split. So in, in other words, I was always doing stuff out of my head. Mm hmm. So, so for for you, for you to say, you know, well, what about making your own movies if you were twenty two again? I would still be making stuff out of my own head. That's the point. Right. Is that I got stuff in my head that I want to see or or say or get the reaction to. Um, so that's why I would, if I started over again, I only came to this conclusion that I'm telling you in the later years where I suddenly realized, oh, I see what these films I'm making are. Uh, uh, yeah. Is that the stuff is out of my head. I get it. Not acting other people's words, mm. which I thought was kind of cool, you know, if you don't know where you're going. See, I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> right. That's it. Plus, I have ADHD, so that's like double whammy. Uh, you know, sometimes, like today. Uh, no, yesterday. I was going on a set of uh, uh, baskets. Mm -hmm. I was baskets. Yeah, just yesterday. And um, I, a, a lot of times, I didn't know what was going on. Now, these people are professional. I'm professional. I've done a lot of work. You, you, you see my, but, you know, my resume. But they improvise a lot. Now, I was in the committee. I was in Second City, so I was an improviser. But I haven't improvised in years. And improvisation is a muscle. It ain't a creative brain thing. It's a muscle. And you acting as a muscle. Anything, I guess. Repetition and doing it, and you just got better and better and better. But I haven't done it in years. And Baskets improvises a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd say 90%. Well, not ninety percent, but I would say eighty percent of what you see on television the last three, four, three years, I guess, or four years, is, is improvisation, and they're getting more and more as they go along. So I was totally, I guess, you know, underwater. I was drowning. <laughs> you know, Hankton, you're you're so talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but you know, I'd like to know what I'm doing. But I think what it, in other words, the the director was getting, uh, you know, working with me. So, I mean, I was getting the job done. I, I think 
you will not know when I was confused and when I was not because I was doing a character that was confused. Mm -hmm. That was the character. <laughs> so, so it was working for me, and I was using it. But still, man, I, I, I kept on saying, hey, man, I don't know what's going on, so I'm in your hands. You know, I just... So he would say, you know, I just improvise this again, improvise it again, improvise it again. The, the key to improvisation in the theater, where, where you are making money at it, where you have people coming in, so you can't just experiment and crash and burn every night just to get one good scene. You know, you got to bring it. <laughs> right. So, so the point about improvisation is that... and. and Alan Meyerson told me this. I don't think anybody else ever mentioned this or discovered this. But in, in an improvisation scene that Second City does, the committee does, uh, uh, Groundhogs do, do, all that stuff, is it's a um, a finite number of permutations. Just got to remember that. If you improvise a scene about you know a teacher in a classroom with a, per, a student, you know you do it. At a, doesn't come out. You just say, "Well, do it again." Okay, and then you do it. Okay, and then you say, "Oh, well, the opening was kind of good, so just keep that, but improvise the rest." Blah blah blah. And you just keep improvising. The point being um, that for the for the director to, to keep up with the scene, like um, it wasn't successful, but there's an idea there. I mean, the idea has to be there, or just forget the scene. Well, let's go on. But if there's an idea there, you go, "Okay, do it again," but just play with it, just improvise it again. The, the point being that if the director, not the actors, but if the director sees an idea there, what you do is you keep them improvising until all the parts of your idea are there. Because, there's, because there is a finite number of permutations so that eventually they may get to other laughs that somebody else would like. But eventually, and this is weird, they will get to the idea you want them to get to. They take, you know, 10, 15, 20, even 30 improvisations, but some ideas are worth it. So sometimes we would workshop some ideas in, in the workshop part of the show. There is a workshop part of the show where we just improvise every night a new scene. Where you keep that in and you go, you know, do that other scene again tonight, only improvise it differently. Improvise it differently. And we would do some scenes for about at least a month until it was in shape. And then we would do it. And then when Alan said to me, okay, I want you to direct the next show because i got to go to New York to do some business, um, I said, okay. And I said, but, you know, give me a, a secret. Give me, you know, how, how do you work this thing? And that's what he told me. He said, if you see there's an idea in it, just keep them improvising until the idea you saw is whole. Mm -hmm. And, I, I, and I, I did that. And son of a gun, it, he's right. For some reason, there is a finite number. I mean, they find that they would, you know, improvise the last half. The first half is cool. Just play with the last half, and they would come around. And but here's the here's the. It's not the downside, but it's it's the other part, the other half of the secret. If you're the director and you're doing that, you can't take responsibility or or any kind of uh, award or reward for the scene. The scene is the actors. 
You can't say, hey, I knew. You can't go, hey, I knew that's what the scene was going to be a month ago. You can't know. You mm-hmm. can't do that. <laughs> you know, it's their scene. They did it. They created it. You know, mo- moving on. So that's, you know, so finally when the show opened, it got a really good review. But the, the, the uh, guy who was interviewing me said, uh, I, I got the review. I, I still saved it. He said, um, what what uh, what is the worst part of, of directing uh, an improv show? And I said, there's five actors between me and the audience. <laughs> so right. That was that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but you can't say that. You can't tell that to the, right. well. The show opened, so then I could say it. But while we were creating the, the show, I saw us. I know. I know where this scene can go. I know the punchline. I got it. You know. No. Yeah. By the way. Uh, even though I know the punchline. No, they wouldn't get to the exact words you had, but mm-hmm. the, the, the idea was, you know, there. That. So, so yeah, but it was still always in the back of my mind is I got stuff in my head. I got to get out, you know? Got a head full of ideas that are driving me insane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, Steve, I'm a fan of Stephen King. Stephen King one time said that... Um uh the you know his writing is like therapy for him people go and pay uh you know a bunch of money to get all their uh things out to a therapist but in his world people pay him to create these like right tapestries exactly, of, of everything inside of his head yeah uh that's what writing is and and in improv that's well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it is revelatory, at least to the audience, if not to you mm-hmm. yourself. But, but yeah, it is. But writing is is much more direct. I mean, you are totally. There's nobody coming in with another line to take you off in another direction, right? Because you got to be open to that. But in writing, you are the god of a blank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's a very powerful feeling, but it's also re- revelatory. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at some of the uh, screenplays or some of the writings uh, that I've done, like, say, four, four or five years ago, and I go, oh, wow, man. You know, this is what I was thinking. This is what was bothering me, and I, re- I remember it related to that. You know, I broke up with my girlfriend, and it's coming out in the writing, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so it, it is. There. It is therapy, and it sure does help. Yeah. 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 I've done some writing as well. And, uh, you know, like the one thing that I always tell my wife is, uh, you cannot keep yourself out of the writing. It's impossible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, actually you can, I know, uh, uh, Jim Crenna, it's not, it, you have to work hard at it. Right. But like Jim, I was talking to, uh, Jim Crenna, who was an improv, uh, uh actor of, of, mind of ours up in the, in the committee and he was great he was really funny and terrific and you know we each had our little uh daily wicks of expertise you know the one guy was a uh, great on religion another guy was great on poetry and this guy was great on that and jim kind of was just funny bizarre i mean and it was so I, I said, well, you know, do you write? And he goes, oh, yeah, I write all the time. I said, do you see yourself in the writing? He says, I don't write about truth or reality. Okay. I go, that's impossible. Yeah, exactly. And I said, that's impossible. He says, nah, not me. <laughs> but, yeah, I read his writing. 
it was funny, but there was a there was a Jim was missing mm-hmm. the, the 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 relationship the 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 nitty gritty yeah relationship you know because that's a key to narrative relationship mm-hmm. uh, the heart you know the the, the nitty gritty. Uh, so he, his stuff was really funny, but it, it was just clown. It, it didn't go deep. It didn't go down. So that was a weakness in, in his writings, and that's what showed me. It takes a long time to though to, to really not lie on yeah. the page. That's, it's it's tough, you know. Hey, writing is writing is writing. <laughs> So between uh, stand-up comedian, you know, from stand-up comedian to uh, to improv to acting to making your own films, was there yeah. was there a definitive moment where you said to yourself, "Hey, I can do this. I can make a living doing this. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life." Well, um, hmm, I. Did when I first got down to L.A. and I did Escape from Alcatraz, you know, I had uh, the and I got thirty-five thousand dollars, which I immediately cashed, <laughs> and, and so I saw it. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see it, uh, and then I I put it I put it in the bank, and I thought at that moment when I saw that cash and I had it in the bank, and then you know I started paying off stuff. Uh, but yeah, then I thought, wow, I'm a success. Here I am in Hollywood, co-starring with Clint Eastwood. So at that moment, yeah, I thought, well, I'll do this for the rest of my life. You know, you can't beat that high. Of, uh, and, and also the director, uh, Don Siegel, liked me. You know, he, he <laughs> I, was, I was kind of his... Uh, it's kind of his pet in a way. He would be always putting me on, you know. But but it was, he was done it, did it like a, a, a good kind of good dad. Right. He was kind of taking care of me, you know. But he would he would always say uh, like I had a when I was left behind in the escape and I was left in my cell. He he, he wanted the uh, the character to cry being left behind, and um, I I said. I couldn't cry. I wasn't an actor. I, I was an improviser. Right. I don't know how to manufacture emotion. Uh, I didn't have the tools. So I made up a whole story about how my character, in, my, in the backstory I built for my character, which was a lie, uh, he wouldn't cry in this situation. So he, he, he looked at me, he goes, really? I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, okay. Carol, and he called over his assistant, and this uh, young lady, about 28, I guess, I don't know, young lady, and she came over, and she said, uh, I want you, Larry, I want you to tell Carol what you just told me about your character. And she didn't know what I was talking about, and uh, what he was talking about, and neither did I. So he said, no, uh, I said, go ahead, just, just tell Carol. So I turned to Carol, and I said, well, I, I said my character wouldn't cry in this situation because in the backstory, he's just not that type of guy who would cry in this situation. And she still had a blank look on her face and what was going on. And he turns to her and he says, what the fuck is he talking about? And then he looks at me, and he says, very endearing, you know, what the fuck is he talking about? And he points at the, at the ceiling like, you know, they make this big arc in the sky. 
and he this it's half arc from one side of his body to the other, and he points about three quarters away over to the left, up in the air, and he goes, "You see that point right up there? I got this movie, this big arc of a movie, and right up there, three quarters of the way through, with all these guys in jail, all this testosterone and stuff." I need another emotion. Right about there, I need, I don't know, somebody to cry. Do you know who's right there? <laughs> That's you, Larry. And you're going to cry in three hours. You better get ready. And then you walked away. <laughs> I just like that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, she was stunned. And she, uh, she shrugs her shoulders and she walks away. And I go, well, okay, you know. So I go into my dressing room and I try to cry. I couldn't cry. So I just, you know, uh, just blew it off. And I'm, I'm playing cards with the crew for about an hour, and then the crew looks up behind me. There's somebody behind me, and I look around, and it's Don Siegel. And he goes, Larry, what are you doing? I think I'm playing cards. He goes, um, you know, you have to cry in about an hour. Are you ready? And I go, yeah, um, yeah well, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, I thought, well, he said, I think you better go back. I don't think you're ready. So I stopped playing cards because he's standing right there. And I said, all right, well, I'll go back. To my... Just to get away from him. I, you know, I didn't know what the hell to do. Mm-hmm. He said, As I'm walking away, he said, well, try slapping yourself. <laughs> so I go into my dressing room. I'm slapping myself. I'm like, oh, what? My face is getting red. But I'm not... I said, I, I, I don't care. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to just forget this whole thing because it's just bothering me. So I go on the set. Oh, knock, knock. You're up. You're up, Larry. Okay. So I go and I sit down and he gets the camera. I'm in my cell. He gets the camera about, I don't know, about four inches from me. If you look at the shot, it's a choker. It's, it starts at my, I don't know, at my, my clavicle, my, my, my Adam's apple. I don't know. So he gets the camera right in my face and he says, all right, Larry, this is a really important shot. So you ready to cry? I nod my head. Yeah, yeah. He says, okay. Roll it. And I'm trying to go, hmm. <laughs> nothing. He says, all right, cut. Um, Jerry, come on. Bring it in. Jerry comes over, this big <laughs> crew guy. Comes in with a bottle of wintergreen with a blower on it. And he just blows wintergreen into my face. Tears are streaming down my face. And Don says, roll it. He rolls it, and then he goes, cut. Great, Larry, that was that. Fantastic, thank you. <laughs> <Next>. <laughs> he knew that all along the entire day. <laughs> oh, but he loved me, you know. He just, he just loved me. You know, he thought that was really funny. <laughs> but he did that to, like he did that to Clint too. There's there's a, a a point in the movie where we're in the only place where the convicts can talk or pass messages is like every once a week they go to the movies. So in the movie theater, in a dark movie theater, you can pass notes. So we're in the movie theater, part of the movie. We're in the movie theater, and this is where they are passing the signal about the break is tonight. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you know, tonight. And so we're watching a movie. So we're all sitting in... And the camera is where the screen is, and there, and it's a, uh, it's a tracking shot. So as we're saying, hey, tonight, 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 the camera is tracking the faces, you know, down the row as as the word is being passed. And but he says, but 
watch the movie, you know, until you have to pass it on, and but keep watching the movie. Okay, fine. He says, now I'm going to show a movie so that everybody is looking at the same thing and reacting the same way to what's going on on, on the screen. Is that okay? Okay, Clint? Clint says, yeah, it's, it's fine. So we're in a movie theater. So he says, okay, roll it. And here, and he, the movie he projects is the dirtiest pornographic movie I have ever seen. <laughs> And we have to keep a straight face. Tonight, tonight. And as soon as you see the camera go away, you just burst out laughing. Or watching the movie. It was kind of cool. <laughs> but I mean, that, that stuff goes on all the time. So then I'm, I'm saying, uh, after the shot was over, I said, man, that was so cool. You know, that was like, you know, really... He says, oh, yeah, we, we used to do that in the old Hollywood all the time. I go, oh, really? He said, oh, yeah, like, for instance, and he tells, there's one shot in, um, you know, the, the Traitor, oh, the, the Lost Ark, what, what is that? Um, that that's the Spielberg movie? Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, I think, and the, the second one where uh, the, the guy who used to play, uh, I don't know, there's a scene where... Uh, Ford, um, Harrison Ford and his father are tied back to back in a chair. Okay. Um, I, I think that's a scene. In, yeah. So they tie him. So he said, like, you know that scene in uh, whatever, whatever, you know. The where, Last Crusade. Where Harrison Ford, yeah, is tied to the, that chair. He says, yeah. He says, they weren't wearing any pants in that scene. <laughs> so, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, it gets hot on that set. So they, they say, well, where did, where does the shot cut off? They said, well, uh, your waist. It's fine. So they both took off their pants. And and that's done a lot, even in love scenes and stuff. I mean, because of the lights, because of the mm-hmm. sexual innuendo. It's just because it's very hot on the lights. And sometimes you, you can't leave the set to say, well, you know, stay right there. We're just going to change a couple of lights. So, yeah, but a lot of stuff is like that where... On the set, it's not like what you're going to see in the movie at, at all. I don't know. That's just a, a little thing about Escape from Alcatraz. Speaking of uh, relationships that you've had with directors, um, mm-hmm. I, I know that you were in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having yeah. a Baby, and Home Alone. Right. Did you have right. a, uh, a kind of a relationship with John Hughes? Well, I thought I did, but no, not really. Okay. I mean, he liked my acting. He, he he liked my acting, and he was really, you know, very gracious and a very good host and a, a you know, fine director. He was a great director. Um, no, because he was too mercurial, actually. Um, sometimes he'd be, you know, very friendly and open, and sometimes he'd just be dour and into himself and moody, and then he would fire somebody. Hey, I wonder, where's John? Oh, he got fired yesterday. What for? I don't know. John fired him. Uh, you know, so I kept my kind of distance. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, because sometimes I say inappropriate things. I mean, <laughs> not like uh, Tourette's. Right. But I mean, like, you know, just I'll say the wrong thing at the wrong time, you know, because I'm not aware socially of what's going on. Uh, so I, I, and I knew that about myself. So I, I didn't want to, 
get in his face or say the wrong thing. He he took us one day. He took us all. I don't know, three or four actors. Oh, one, two, three, four actors, and his wife to uh, a, a big to do uh, somewhere in Chicago. A big, huge party with somebody was playing a mega party. I don't know. Uh, at some place, and we all, you know, so he piled us all into his limo. He has his own limo. And we were riding, and and so riding to the place around eight o'clock. Uh, the the car was, you know, very convivial, and we were all talking, and we we're going to have fun, and we we're in the car uh, with the director and the limo, and you have a chauffeur, and it's really great. We get there, and his wife went out dancing. He doesn't dance. He just sat there. He just sat. She's dancing and talking, and I'm everywhere schmoozing and going on. And um, and then on the ride back, he was just, I don't know, something had happened in there. I, because he said, all right, we're going now. At some point, about two hours in, he said, all right, we're going now. And he didn't look happy at all. So he rounded everybody up. And because uh, it's a huge place, you had to look for people. So he got him in. And, and the ride home was silent. Nobody spoke. And he just sat in the back and, I don't know, did somebody come on to his wife? What? Uh, what? And we just, and nobody even mentioned it the next day that we went to this party. So that was the kind, of, he was very, very moody, but I tell you, man, he's amazing. One day I went to for a costume uh, fitting in, into this, uh, in Chicago, and I have this uh, Western costuming in Chicago. And there he is in the costume room while I'm getting fitted. He's typing, uh, he's got a little chair, and he's on one of the tables, and he's typing away, a typewriter, just, just a regular typewriter, he's typing, and his son is there with his wife, and his son is asking him questions, he's typing, and then he would turn every once in a while and look at me and say to the costumer, uh, give, him a, give him a different shirt. And then he would go back to typing. So, what are you typing? So, that's my next movie. I'm just working on it. So, wow, man, he's got his family here. His kid is talking to him. He's looking at my costume. He's typing another movie, which is not the one he's involved in. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, and his next movie was a big hit. I don't remember which it was. I didn't ask him what the name of it was. He's typing it. Yeah. I mean, these people are amazing. <laughs> I don't know, you know but so that's the that's the high point of this of this stuff, but here's what I'm beginning to see as I talk to not only you but radio interviews along the way, and that is you know I'm a stand up to, I, I am a stand up comedian, I was a stand up comedian I, I I stopped doing it, but I never stopped being it. that's what I am. And now with these radio interviews, all these events that happen in show business, when I be, go back on the stage, that's going to be my stand-up. You know, I, when I was a stand-up comedian and opening for, for Woody and uh, the Kingston Trio, I was doing pot material and I was doing prior material. and I mean, not his, but like his. Mm. But, you know, that kind of uh, on, the, on, the, on the forefront, on the on the tip of the spear of comedy. Uh, but I couldn't take the blowback, man, of, of the anger. Uh, but now I see, oh, but if I tell stories about show business, that's a whole, you know, that's pretty That's pretty cool. Right. So that's what I think is going to eventually, you know, when, when I'm... <laughs> 
too old to 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 do anything else. I'll tell stories about show business, uh, but but it is funny, man, and it, you know, there's no business like it. Except as Carl Gottlieb would say, well, there is the shoe business. That's life show business. <laughs> other than that. <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of our audience, will, I'm sure, will recognize you as Mr. Heckles, the, the downstairs neighbor yeah. on Friends. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. One of the uh, one of the episodes that a lot of our our fans point to is the episode where you die or you have died. And they yeah! kind of, they kind of oh. go through your stuff and everything. Um, you left such an indelible mark, I think, uh, on a lot of people in that role. How do you? And you know, you didn't have a ton of lines or or even a ton of episodes right. to do it. Right. How, how do you? How do you make such a connection with a little amount uh, of work? Well, I don't. <laughs> That's the first rule. I don't try to make connections with anything or anybody. I just do what's on the page or what seems right for the character at the moment in this particular scene. I'm very uh, married to and adamant about process. Mm -hmm. I'm a professional, uh, sincerely. In other words, once I'm in the ring, once I'm on the floor, once there's a camera pointed at me, for some reason, I go into professional mode, which doesn't look professional. I mean, but no, but I'm, I'm serious about, like, for instance, in baskets, you know, yesterday, same thing. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. When you watch it, you will think, oh, wow, that's really, that guy's really cool. Uh, it's me. If I can... Stop all the bullshit uh, 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 that's going on around me and just be Larry Hankin saying these lines under these circumstances. Even if I'm playing a Russian and I got to kill this guy, mm -hmm. I am me in my. I am Larry Hankin with an accent, you know, which I rehearsed that accent. Um, uh, then I don't have to worry about. Fans or the director, uh, that was an experiment for me, the Barry thing. Um, I never did a serious role like that because uh, I had some serious um, emotions that I had to go through that I'd never really done uh, or been asked to do. And I decided I'm going to do it. I was not going to blow it off or try to fake it or go around it or I can't do this, so I'll do something else. I'm, I just plunged right in, and I really respect Bill Hader as as a funny guy and as a professional, as an actor and as a director. Yep. He, he's at the top of the line. He never gave me one direction, man. He just left me alone and got coverage. <coughs> and all I was doing was I was there. In other words, I was there in that set doing that guy. And I was trying to decide whether to kill him or not. To kill the guy I was there to kill or not. Mm -hmm. And that was going through my mind the entire time I was doing it. And Bill just never said a word to me. You know, except before and after the shot. You know, that's cool. We're going to just change the camera. Let's, you know, just take, a, take it easy for five minutes and 
can't you do it again? And that was the entire conversation we had. Um, that, so, uh, I, it's a mystery to me, my connection to what, what you're calling fans, the, these the people and kids uh, who like me. I like them. I mean, maybe that's what the connection is. Right. I know I, I but, but you cannot try to, to get fans. And, and if you do, I mean, maybe some people do that. I, I, I just don't know how that's done. And I don't believe in it. Uh, you know, uh, I'm kind of a genuine believer. But that came because of, of, of the committee and, and Second City. All you got is your brain and five other people, and maybe only two on the stage with you. Uh, you don't have a costume. Uh, you don't have any props. Um, you just were told the character you have to play right now, so you have no time to prepare, uh, but you have the process. There is a process to improvise, and if you follow the process, uh, you'll, you'll get a fairly good scene, you know, and if you're pretty good at it, you'll get a great scene. So um, I hate to go on like that, but fans... Uh, 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 I don't. I don't understand some of the fans why they like Mr. Heckles or why they like me. I'm glad they do, but that's not my focus at all. Right. Or I lose them in a second. <laughs> Boom. So, Mr. Heckles, I don't know. I really don't. Don't know. It's got to be the character. What they see is a whole person. That's why they're a fan. I think. I think. In other words, if I'm believable to me, then. They're believable, and I think fans or people, audiences, not fans, audiences like to be fooled, to, to, to believe that that's not Larry Hakin, that's Mr. Heckles. If I fool them, they like that. They like seeing, uh, you know, uh, Harrison Ford not be Harrison Ford. Right. You know? Yeah, you know, and here's where I got it. When I was a little tiny kid, the only thing that I, well, not the only thing, but one of the things I really found funny was Charlie Chaplin. I loved Charlie Chaplin as a little kid. And as I grew up, I mean, like 10, 15, I would start to try to see Mr. Chaplin because, you know, I would read books about Charlie Chaplin and they would all say Mr. Chaplin or Charles Chaplin or Charlie. And... Uh, no, I, I just pictured that little guy, the little tramp. That was that was Charlie Chaplin. Mm -hmm. So I tried to watch his films. Oh man, with like magnifying glass, trying to see Charlie Chaplin, Mister Chaplin. I wanted to see the actor under that mustache and the makeup, the white makeup, and I couldn't. That guy was incredible. He disappeared. He was the little tramp. Mm -hmm. you, you try look at the Chaplin movie. You try to see, you know, Charles Chaplin. And no, and and he was the most famous person in the world when he was on it. So, and any any person that you like, as, as a you know, in, in show business and acting, and uh, yeah, that, that's why I think that's why I am a fan. I mean, Brian Cranston to me, I'm a Big fan of Brian Cranston, but in, a, a, in certain movies, like in Breaking Bad, man, you can't find Brian. That's not Brian, right? I talked to Brian. Uh, I talked to uh, Clint Eastwood. The same thing. 
that's not Clint Eastwood, what you see on uh, on the screen. I talked to Clint Eastwood. He's he, he's a just he's a man. He's a guy. You know. Uh, now the fact that he is what was that? The fact that he was also <laughs> something tell. It's the uh, police the again. Fact that he was also. <laughs> Um, the fact that he was also um, the the director of, of, of some of these things, um, and that he is almost—I I, got to say this—the the character that he's playing in *Escape from Alcatraz*, anyway, because that's where I was talking to him. Um, Offset is very close to him. He uses who he is off stage in creating the character that he plays. But, no, he's not that guy. Um, and, and Brian Cranston, and all great actors. That's what I try to do. I try to see the actor when I can't. Oh, wow, man, that is so cool. You know, so I think that's what, what fans are attracted to. But, like I said, I don't think about that. that that's not my business. <laughs> my business. Right. It's my job. <laughs> that probably explains... That probably explains why interviews like this are popular, because I, I suppose if you want to see at least some semblance of the of the real person, if you contrast uh, their their roles and what they play, for instance, like Brian Cranston or you um, and yeah. with the interviews that they do, that's when you can kind of see the difference, I suppose. Yeah, right. Right. I mean, okay, um, oh, I can never remember his name. Let me see if I remember his name. Uh, uh, oh, no, he's a young kid. Now he's, he's an amazing actor. His uh, I don't know. I can't even remember that. From Breaking Bad? No, this is okay. an actor. What, what has he done? I'm trying to think of what he's done. Uh, two girls and a boy, two girls and a guy. Um, Ryan Reynolds? Who? Ryan no. Reynolds? Um, no. Two girls and no. a guy. Um, yeah, it was, it's a, a, one guy in this one apartment. It was done, uh, and he had two girlfriends, and they were, they were fighting over it. His mother, he gets a phone call, his mother dies, so one of them falls in love with him because of the way he talks to his mom. Um, I don't but anyway, he, when he was, I would listen to his interviews, hmm. and he would rattle on, and he was just kind of crazed. In other words, it, it was like he was on some sort of a speed. He wasn't. He wasn't. But he was arrested for, for I think, heroin maybe. And because uh, he, he uh, yeah, and the judge let him go because, I mean, he wasn't really a junkie. And, and, he, and he, he's a great actor. But anyway. Robert Downey Jr., I, that's who you're talking about, yeah, right? Yeah, there you go. Okay, there you yeah. go. Got him. Robert Downey Jr. is an incredible actor. Incredible. Again, in some of his roles, he totally did. You cannot find Downey. But when he's on, when he used to be on the radio, when he was <clears throat> in his crazed one, he would talk a mile a minute, and he would say, wow, this guy is... But when he got in front of a camera, and he even said that in one of his interviews, he said the, he, he was doing... He was getting high... Uh, on heroin because he would be totally whacked out of his mind and he had to go to the set and he totally remembered his lines and didn't screw up. He And he said this in the interview that he was amazed 
that nobody figured out he was like whacked out of his skull. And he thought, holy cow, I can do these dangerous drugs and remember my lines and totally be cool on the set. And he thought that was amazing. But he was crazy when, when he was being interviewed. Right. So there's, that was the, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde thing about who you are and who you're not and when you're acting. But that was the most different person I've ever seen. You know, Robert, but yeah. Cranston, all of them, you know, and, and Harrison Ford in interviews. And I don't know why I keep on bringing him up. He's cool. <laughs> he's cool with guys. Uh, uh, but yeah, that, that's the, the different. Yeah, radio interviews, I guess, are very popular. Um, so, you know, you talked about Brian Cranston a little bit. Obviously, you worked with him on uh, Breaking Bad. You played Old Joe. And I want to say yeah. it was four episodes, I think, or three. I know you were, uh, you were two, in season actually two. Actually, two. Okay. Well, I know so you were in season cool. three. I was in a lot. I was in two. Yeah, I know you were in season three, and they brought you back for season five. So they obviously right. liked what you did. Um, yeah. Now, what was? I think he he wanted he wanted me to be in another one, but then they had to cut it. They had to cut it. Okay. But I was I was up for three. Yeah. What was what was it like working on on that set with with Vince Gilligan and um, and uh, Brian Cranston? Uh, really great because uh, I, there's very few sets that I've been on, and I've been on a, a lot where everybody there, uh, crew, hair, makeup, cinematography, actors. Hangers on, we're on the same page. Everybody knew what was going on and what was there to, to make this particular scene we're doing, you know, right on. Uh, whatever it was. And I generally never go into my dressing room or Winnebago or whatever. I stay on the set all the time, uh, even if I'm not working. Uh, I'll, I'll come a day ahead just to see what's going on. I just want to be there to always be part of to see, you know, what level of acting is going on, uh, make so that, and, and be known and get to know the crew and everybody. Not a big handshake thing. I mean, just, just be present. That's all. Right. I'm not going around saying hello to everybody. I just want to be there. Just so that there's nothing new to me when I show up and have to do my part. I want everything to be familiar. It's, I do it for me, not to make friends. I, I just want to, be in a familiar place. So when I when I'm working, I can just be on the set, on the floor of that particular scene. So that that's my preparation. You know, to, to be there. So uh, uh, Breaking Bad was like that. So that's Vince Gilligan is an incredible bringer together of. Uh, he, you know, he's always he cares about people. His crew, you. Anybody. He's an amazing person. He, I, he is an amazing human being, Vince Gilligan. I can say that about him. Uh, and um, everybody, uh, let me see, Brian. Brian was very moody. Got to say that. Brilliant actor. I love work. I was very proud to work with him, you know, because I just was in awe. Uh, because he can just be anybody. Uh, you know, his, his resume. Okay, so... The thing with Brian was that I, I, <coughs> I got on Brian's nerves. 
So, but that's that's sometimes what happens. People I say the wrong thing or blah blah blah. Uh, but I was blowing lines. I don't know why, but I was blowing lines uh, with him on his scene about the, the magnet. In okay. Uh, in the first show, no, there was no nothing. He, we were friends, you know. I was talking to him and blah 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 because I liked him so much. I just want to talk about process, you know. So then that was cool. But the this, this second one, um, I kept blowing lines, and uh, he was getting really testy, you know. And so uh, about the third or fourth time I blew a line, he wouldn't look at me during. Uh, you know, when we were talking, he would just look away as I was talking to him. Mm. He'd like look away. He'd look around at the junkyard and stuff. And you know, I thought, so I, I just, I said, can I? I, I got to take a break. So I stepped out of the scene. I never. Well, no, I, uh, I, I just, I said, I got to get out. So I went over to the director. I said, just excuse me, I got to talk to the director. So I went over to the director and I said, hey man, uh, look, um, I think I even said, hey man, I think I said that. Uh, hey, man, um, look, um, Brian, uh, has something wrong with Brian and me. I don't know what's going on, but um, he, he's just, uh, I don't know, he's not feeding me the right lines. He's looking away. He's, he's distracted. I, he's not, he's, I think he's mad at me. And I, he said, what is he doing? He said, well, you know, I, I would blow a line, and he would just get, like, really testy, like, you know, um, let's focus, Larry, or, you know, whatever. Or he'd look away or he'd say, um, Okay, look. And he said, "Why is he doing that?" He said, "Because I because uh, I blew a couple of lines." She goes, "Or a actors blow lines all the time. Secondly, we're losing the light. Get back in the fucking scene and fuck Brian. We got a scene to do here. Get back in there." That was it. Okay, fine. <laughs> so, in other words, I I. I um, that I didn't understand. I didn't know other actors blow lines. So that that was what put me back. And he was right. He, he just said he said it in a very friendly way, but he he did say, "Fuck Cranston, get back in there." Mm-hmm. You know, like I I don't know what you're talking about, man. Actors blow. I don't know why you're disturbed about Brian. He's just another actor, which of course he was right. But to me, ooh, you know, so that's the danger of being a fan. Right. You lose perspective. I was a fan of Cranston, and he got to me. No, no, no fan. Listen, this is process. This is work. We're working here. And part of working is making mistakes. Larry, it's okay, you know. So that was a lesson to be learned there. But still, on the way back, because it was a 45-minute drive from the desert junkyard back to home base camp, he didn't talk to me the whole time, Brian. <laughs> and, we, and we generally, you know, have conversations, you know, going back. No, no, 45 minutes, Brian into his cell phone and, <laughs> and his iPad. Right. Have, yeah. you, have you ever I, thought about uh, teaching acting, at least on a limited basis? No, because I don't know how to act. I'm a pretender. I'm a stand-up comedian. I never went to acting school. When I did the Barry thing where I had to get that emotional thing and, and cry, I mean, well, I, I didn't cry, but my lip, my lower lip started to quiver because I was so emotionally involved. And when my lower lip started to quiver, 
me, Larry Hankin went, holy fuck, my lower lip is quivering. This is good acting here. I mean, I was totally schizophrenic. I was totally schizophrenic. And you watch the scene. I think they used that shot where my lip was quivering. And it looks like, oh, my God, that guy, is just, he's going through some kind of, you know, kind of emotional crisis. Yeah, I guess I was, but I was also thinking, holy cow, like, you know, like, wow, how cool. Yeah, weird. So I don't know how to act. I mean, that, that was a surprise to me. You know, uh, I, can't, I caught improvisation because I was really good. And I knew, I read the book and I, I studied improv. I studied with Viola Spolin and uh, uh, Paul Sills, who, who ran Second City and stuff. They started it. Uh, so, you know, they were like a Lee Strasberg of improv. But I, I never studied acting. So I'm a pretender. I'm a faker, but I think really well. In other words, I have good instincts, I guess. I, you know, but I couldn't teach it because I don't. Because every time I talk to an actor about acting, they tell me, you know, little secrets and stuff. Oh wow, that's kind of cool. Like for instance, a director telling me actors blow lines all the line all the time, Larry. I never knew that. I, I never knew that. Right. I have to have it down, man. Gotta get it down. So. You know, no, yeah, but but thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you've done a lot of TV. Um, I assume that most of the time, although I I don't know because I'm not in Hollywood at all, obviously, but um, I assume most of the time you're still auditioning. What, what's the audition process like for, for television and how has it changed? Um, it, it, it hasn't really changed much. I mean, once again, once you're in the room, right? That that's 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 a that's a Hollywood phrase, by the way. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they use it in other businesses. But when you say I was in the room, you, they know what you're talking about. Oh, the nitty gritty. You were improvising or you're know, pitching something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so once you're in the room, no. Then then it's pretty. Um, I, I just have. Um, uh, attitude problems. Once I'm in the room, I, I get an attitude. I, I, who are these people? I know more than you. Uh, I, I'm auditioning you. Uh, and I, my, my agent, I, I kind of stopped that. But while I was, I mean, I dropped out for about uh, four years. I'm, I'm just coming back in. I, I've been out of the business for four years. And everything I did before the four years has still been playing all those four years. The internet. That's a cool thing, YouTube. It's all out there. So it looks like I never left, but I left for four years. So I'm back now. So, um, okay, so now I lost my train of thought. What was the question again? About auditioning okay. um, for TV, yeah. About auditioning, yeah. So once you're in the room, um, I don't audition anymore because I don't care anymore. I mean, um, I want to do my own movies and uh, baskets thing. I did audition. But that, but not for that. I turned down the <laughs> See, I, because, man, I have so much out there. You you are talking about my IMD thing. If you don't know how good or bad or suited I am to your film, what good is it me coming into audition? I'm just going to do <laughs> what you've seen me done for the last 10 years. That's a good point. What, what are you, crazy? And that's what I go in with. <laughs> You're not going to get a job if you go in like that. So I stopped, uh, so now that I'm back, I, I stopped the audition. But, 
but if the role is good enough, if you get the, those three things or two of those things, sure, I'll audition because it's worth it to me, but I'm not getting those and I don't want to be sent up for any. I just want to do my own thing now. I just want to do my own thing. I'll raise my own money. I, I uh, auditioned for Baskets because I am a huge fan of Zach Galifianakis. Mm-hmm. He is the cat's pajamas. So anything that Zach wants me to do, fine. I mean, come in and audition. So I auditioned, but I turned down the role because there's a lot of memory. I don't want to memorize monologues and stuff. And they go, you don't want to memorize monologues? You know, because all actors want a monologue. Uh, I, I, no, it's too much. I, I don't have time for that. I, I, I'm writing. I have to memorize. I got ADHD. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> so uh, I turned it down. So they called me back and said, hey, well, how about another role with less words? I said, well, let me see it. And they sent it to me. And I said, fine. It's, but you have to audition. Ha ha. Okay, fine. It's a good scene. I'm a fan of Zach's. So this way, we both gave it you know, cool. Uh, but it was a really cool role. I got, I got to admit that the first one I turned down wasn't that great either. So it wasn't like, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, I mean, the writing is very important now to me. So I guess, I guess that sort of boiled down to because somebody asked me that, that question about wh- why you auditioned, but then you did. I think it was my manager <laughs> who asked me that. No, no, it's, it's the, if the writing is great, man, then, then I got a good shot at using my tools that I have in my bag to express and, and, and do a good job. That's what I want to do, is I want to do a good job. Uh, and, and bad writing or weak writing, you're not going to do a good job. You're just going to do, you're just going to make it work, as they say. You know, just make it work, okay? You know, I know, I know it's kind of weak here and there, but just make it work, okay? And actors have to do that, you know, I mean, when I was um, young and starting and just using it as an ATM machine, I would just make it work, you know? Oh, man, this is awful. I would, a lot of times I would uh, be on set in costume, you know, and the camera is about to roll, and I'm thinking, what am I doing here, man? This is silly. This is ridiculous, you know? hope my mom doesn't see this one. <laughs> but, hey, man, you know, I'll make it work. You know, and, and you do. But then there's good writing. And finally, you know, like Brian Cranston doesn't make anything work. He doesn't take a role that's bad writing. No, you know. I mean, he, he respects what he does. He respects his craft. You know, and then, then he respects the movie and he respects the screenplay. But, so uh, after a while, you, you have to get there. To, to just, you know, how about, am I making this work or am I getting a shot at really uh, working it, you know? Right. <laughs> and and um, so now, <clears throat> in my golden years, I want to work it, you know? I want good writing. And I, and I think I'm writing really good stuff. My writing is really good. So you've got to be as good as me now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The God been thrown. The um, uh, two the two things that uh, that you've done that uh, just a question is available on Vimeo. Uh, the code to use is yeah. question. So question, right. everybody check that out. 
Um, and okay, then I'll give you, yeah, go yeah, go ahead. Oh, well, I got another one that's coming out in uh, two, three weeks. It's like that one. Uh, the same character. It's five minutes, uh, but it's different. But it's it's the same thing. I want to make a series of about ten of these little war, uh, two minute, uh, two and a half minutes to five minute. They're they're basically they're, they're funny or satirical rants by this character. And we're going to get other characters in and start to make a little. It's going to grow. It's going to grow. But that's that's where I'm at right now. And it's going to grow into a, finally a movie uh, feature. But right now we're starting at two and a half minutes. The second one is five. Next one will be uh, between those two. And then they'll start getting a little bigger till we get to about... Once we get to ten minutes, then it's going to go to a school play. But uh, we got about ten more. But no, no, no. Uh, eight, ten, ten more. Yeah. So that, that's it. Uh, just a question. And the name of it, it's called The Problem. It's coming out in two weeks. Just a question. Vimeo. Question is the password. Those are the two. And then Sally's Diner is on uh, YouTube. Yep, absolutely. Those are the big, those are the big ones. So, uh, <laughs> Larry. About, just one last thing. One last yeah, thing. good. On Vimeo, there's a, there's a 30 other ones. Some are great. Some are not so great. But those are the three that are good. Okay, go ahead. Go. It's, it, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. We really yeah. uh, appreciate you joining us here. Uh, you, uh, you've mentioned it. Uh, you can see Larry in Baskets coming up in the next season. Uh, just a question on Vimeo. Uh, I know you're in uh, a big movie that you can't talk about uh, right now. Yeah. Blink, uh, blink twice if it's Aladdin. Oh, I, I can't see you. So I, so I guess that doesn't work. Oh, they called me. They they called me two three days ago. They say, "Hey man, the NDA still applies. Do not talk about this." Right. And I shot it a month a month ago. Yeah. So a big movie that uh, we cannot disclose right now, but look for him in that coming up soon. Uh, and like I said, baskets. Just a question on Vimeo. Larry Hankin, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Cool. Uh, okay, Mark. Take it easy, Mark.